friends. I'm Katie. And I'm Olivia. And we are Podcast by Proxy, Canadian True Crime. Welcome. We're live. Ooh, have some new technology. We have some new technology. It's Sunday. We love a Sunday recording. We do. The sun has been shining. My grass is growing. It's a good day. I got my engagement ring back today after the dreaded diamond loss. It is a good day. Katie got her ring back. We're happy. Yeah, although (laughs) I feel like I just have to quickly tell the story about my ring. Okay, yeah. And not the ring, my original. Our story about the ring. (laughs) so last week olivia and i had the privilege to go over to 604 podcast network meet everybody get to see you know what it's all about where all the like magic happens so to speak we went to a real Um, live recording studio guys yeah it It was was so cool yeah and i walked in and i was a little bit like oh yeah, it was oh. it was really neat. Oh. It was like some big girl stuff. I was stuff. a little speechless. I am a big Mariana's Trench fan, and they are associated with the same network, so I got some new records, which I love. Um, I'm very, very excited. I've been playing them nonstop. I've also found a new favorite song, but we got to do a really cool photo shoot over there and do some brand photos, which we're really excited to share with you once we get them. I really wanted to be wearing my engagement ring in them because that's something that's important to me. But it was a way of getting repaired. <laughs> so I thought it would be a good idea to just go to, like, Walmart and buy a $10 ring. <laughs> but I also decided to wear it for, like, two days before, just for fun. I mean, why not? why not? It's like, ooh, I have two engagement rings now. <laughs> that's, like, a fun different style. Why not? Yeah, and if it worked well, I was going to use it for, like, at work, because that's how I damaged my ring. So I was going to wear just the dud during the week and my real ring on weekends or when I go out. But it turned my finger green at the photo shoot. <laughs> so maybe we need to go a little bit higher quality on the faux ring. Yeah, maybe, like, 30 bucks. Yes, maybe, like, 30 I should have just gone to Winners and got, like, one of those cute little, like, gift box sets of, like, something that's still, like, a name brand so I would know at least it was some quality. They have, like, yeah, so they have good costume jewelry at Winners and they also have, I've seen there's a few different, like, companies online now that do, like, the engagement ring dupes. I think they're a little bit more expensive. They're, like, in the 100 to $200 range. But lots of people will buy those to take on vacation. Like if you're traveling and you don't want to wear your like legit engagement ring, they'll buy them. I see it all the time. And it's like a cute alternative to the silicone rings, which are also popular for like daily life. But if you like the bling and you like having a cute ring, you might not want a piece of silicone on your finger. Yeah. Do you remember Charming Charlie's? No, I thought you were going to say Charmed Aroma, and I was going to be like, yes, I remember Oh, the yeah, I get one of those candle. every year for Christmas. <laughs> uh, oh, it just got moved, but mine was actually sitting on this desk. I have a strawberry lemonade one right now that came with a necklace in it. I love that. 
Yeah, my mom actually has like costume jewelry version of basically all her rings. I was telling you that when we were laughing about your green finger. Yeah, I think it's genius. Yeah, because she they go to Hawaii every year. She doesn't want to travel and all that jazz with her like expensive yeah. jewelry. She still wants to look blingy. It's a smart idea. Well, duh. Your mom's fancy. Smart idea. No, I'm definitely a proponent for the like seconds of your wedding ring. I think it's cute. No, I think it's really adorable, and I think it's fun to have that option. So, why not? As long as it doesn't turn your finger green. <laughs> it was a pretty cute ring, though. Oh, it really it was. And then we got caught looking at all, like, the rings on the ferry, because they had a whole bunch of them, and it was a whole thing. Yeah. Yeah, we had a lot of fun. Uh, we did, like Katie said, we did a photo shoot. Can't wait to show everybody those photos, and, like actually have pictures of us to post because we figured out that like you guys like pictures of us together you're a fan of our faces in the same photo um and we don't have a lot of them so we needed to get dolled up we got like multiple outfits it was fun I felt really professional I felt like we were really doing the damn thing I also really loved our photographer for the day. He made sure it was, like, so much fun. Yes, super fun. Shout out Thanks, to Luke. Luke. <laughs> yeah, he's great. Yeah, but I, oh my gosh. What? It's my boyfriend snoring. I can hear him through my headphones and the door is closed. I'm pretty sure that's what that noise is. Oh my God, that's hilarious. (laughs) Because I know you're going to leave this in and cut the other part out for anybody uh, that's listening, all of you listening. I just paused to check my audio because I could see something buffering like when I was being silent, which I don't usually have that problem. And now I know it's Brandon snoring. So sorry to Katie. (laughs) It's so messed up, but also, like, hilarious. Because for those of you who don't know, Olivia and I frequently talk about her boyfriend snoring. We do, yeah. So. He came back from a bachelor party today, so clearly. He's dead. He's exhausted and dead in the living room. Um, So was your ex-boyfriend also at this bachelor party? Did they have a great time together? That wasn't this bachelor party. (laughs) Isn't that incredible how many. I love it. How many. But it just means, like. Does that mean you're, like, a CEO? Like, you've hired them at different times? Like, you clearly have a profile you look for so they all get along with one another? (laughs) No, that's a rare experience. No, what I meant, though, is it's so cool that Brandon is going to so many bachelor parties. Like, at this point, he's been invited and attended more bachelor parties than I have bachelorettes. And, like, here... (laughs) It's because people like him, though. And he's not from here. Like, he's literally lived here for three and a half years. And he's just getting invited to everyone's bachelor parties. That's just yeah, he's nicer than you. a testament to how great he is as a human. Yeah. No, I think I'd be in the exact same situation. Simon would be getting invited to all I also imported a man. And I think <laughs> people did. would like him yeah. than they like me. Yeah. But I think they'd like him more than me. Because I think overall he's friendlier around the clock than I am. Yeah, I'm friendly. I just, my social battery has, like, a very limited, yeah. and you, it's obvious when it hits. And when it's out, it's out. Yeah, same. whereas, like, Brandon's very social, so that's, it makes me happy that he's met so many people that, like, have integrated him into their friend groups and want him to come to, like, bachelor parties, because he's that yeah. kind of person where, like, 
he gets his jollies off in like social situations, whereas I'm just like, uh, take I'm me over home, this. please. A perfect explanation of that is when we were done our photo shoot, we raced to try to get on an earlier ferry so that we could get home faster and even get away from each other in a way. Because we're like, we're just done. We're over it. Like, if like, I could have teleported about... home, I would have. Oh, done. Mm-hmm. Like, when people are like, what superpower would you have if you could have any teleporting? If I could cut out travel altogether when I'm done... Oh my god. Just teleport me to my bed, like my house though. I don't need to teleport anywhere else. It's like strictly when I need to come Like you home. just have like one Only hub. to come home. Yeah, one hub. I only need one. It's <laughs> this place right here. Like that's like home base. You always have to go back there, but you can go out to anywhere. Correct. I can go out anywhere, but I can only come back home. Uh, yeah. That means if you're running errands though, you'd have to go home between each one. That's okay. I'm alright with that. It's not like a bus. You don't get like a transfer pass no. when you dip out of the first black hole. No. Just home only. Okay, it's been 12 minutes and we're talking about a black hole to teleport. I think we're good. <laughs> yes. I just realized Happy that. Tuesday, everyone. We missed you, clearly. Uh, I'm excited, yeah. though. Today, Katie is doing a case redo. One of the first, like, three cases we ever It was the second covered. episode I did, so third episode we ever recorded, I believe. We've eliminated episodes, so when I went back to look, it was kind of hard to tell. But in my recollection, and based on when I looked at when I had originally saved this audio, or the writing file, it was the third episode we ever did. It was, for sure. So it would have been probably January, like, 13th to 18th, somewhere in there. Yeah. Of 2021. Yeah, it was definitely the third episode we ever did. And if you're, like, relatively new... Um, we've archived a lot of our original episodes from like when we started in December 2020 to probably like April or May of 2021, like those first four to five months. When we didn't know what we were doing. They're just a little bit cringy. I don't want to listen to it. The audio is not great. I want people to want to come back to the show. Um, anyway, so a lot of that's been archived, but we've been slowly, we try and only do like one This is our second one this year, but last year we only redid one case. Slowly been starting to recover those stories. Because, like, we picked those because... They were important. We knew them. They were important. They were some of the first cases that we, like, gravitated towards, specifically with, like, Canadian stories. So we set precedent. Yeah, we want them to be on the show. We just want to do them justice. Um, No pun intended. Um, so anyway, long rambly story short, Katie is doing a case redo for us today. And actually the anniversary of this case is in about two weeks, right? No. So not the case oh. itself. This tragedy happened in December or sorry, January. Mm-hmm. But David Milgard, who is the gentleman that we're going to speak of primarily and um, the victim of the story as well, Gail, but... He passed away a year ago, May 15th. and Yes, so it's coming up on the anniversary of his passing for one year. Um, so it also just seemed very fitting to recover his case because it is so important. Yeah, I totally agree. Um, so yeah, Katie's going to cover David Milgard and Gail... Miller. Miller. <clears throat> Sorry, I had to cough. Oh, that's okay. <laughs> I just... You just said her name. It immediately poofed out of my brain. It's that kind of a day. She poofed. All right. Yeah. Is what it is. It It happens. Yeah. And then next week we are going to have a two-parter. So stay tuned for that. Another quite 
precedent setting, if you will, case that also was just resolved again for the second time last month. So yeah, there's a lot happening with that. Um, we're going to be talking about Cindy Gladue next week. Um, if you know the case, you know. If you don't, buckle the hell up. So yeah. Click. Buckled. Yeah. I was just telling someone today how much I love the term buckle up. I just think it's it's just such a funny term. Very Canadian. I don't know if it, it is, but Canadian. it like seems very Canadian. Out for a rip, are you, bud? Yeah. <laughs> Which actually is a great lead into this story because it totally starts out with just a group of teens going out for a joyride, if you remember. So uh, yeah, let's get into it. These boys and girls are just out for a rip. <laughs> So, on the night of January 30th, 1969, David and a group of his friends were going out for a joyride. They had actually been traveling on a road trip from Regina to Vancouver, stopping essentially in every province along the way to pick up, like, another friend. That's so fun. (laughs) I think I remember this from last time, but I was like, I want to do that. Right? We don't have enough friends. We would just be on a road trip, which is just as good. Just picking up stray animals along the way. (laughs) I was thinking the exact same thing. Those are our friends. (laughs) Thrifting stuff and pets. Looking for energy drinks in the middle of towns we shouldn't be walking through. Just normal things. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that human poop on the sidewalk really threw me. Yeah, that's a story for another day. Yep, join Patreon and we'll maybe talk about an in-depth of our day at the studio. We definitely will. Yeah. So David has met up with a few of his friends along the way. He's presently 16 years old and all of his friends are within a year or two of his age. This group is known to be frequent users of hallucinogenic drugs, but never really doing anything bad. People just knew them as, like, the druggies. And they just had a good time. Also, like, it's the 60s and the 70s. Who was not on like shrooms? They weren't hurting anyone. Yeah, like... Right? David's now leaving Regina in his road trip. He's with his friends Ron Wilson and Nicole John. They're then heading along their way to stop in Calgary, Alberta. And they are going to then go to Saskatoon. That's their plan for their friends. Okay. The group arrived at their final destination for that day of driving. And by this time, they had driven, like, all through the night, and it was actually 9 a.m. Imagine being 16 again, though, with your friends and being able to just, like, drive all oh night and not God. stop. Because I've did I've, I've done that myself, like, driven from Calgary back to the island, which is about 12 hours, overnight, alone, did not stop, and had not slept. I couldn't do that now, because I would have been, like, 21 when I did that, and, like... You can do anything when you're 21. My body would physically shut down now. Yeah, I would. We need hotels. We need beds. We need full meals. Like, we are no longer 18 years old. I did this exact road trip and we planned it to stop every night and get a good night's sleep and a meal. Yeah. If I had been 19 to 20 doing this again, I would have been, like, energy drinks, drive-thrus, and just, oh, like, yeah. windows open with loud no music. Sleeping. And like, let's fucking get there. Yeah, because it's fun when you're that age, right? Yeah. yeah. It's like a challenge. I'll take it. Yeah. Plan is, as we said, it's 9 a.m. when they arrive. They're going to, like, eat, hang out, do what they need to do there, 
get like a bit of rest probably and then later in the day just get going again and get finish getting to Calgary. While the boys are on this road trip, while the boys are on this road trip, local news outlets are reporting that a nurse named Gail Miller was found between Avenue N and Avenue O South in the 200 block near her home where she was waiting for a bus. Neighbors around the area say they see her at this bus stop all the time. It's completely her morning routine. Nothing out of the ordinary for Gail that day. She's on her way. It's minus 41 degrees Celsius. So she's super duper bundled up, multiple layers, likely some type of thermal wear, given that it's 930 in the morning. I was going to say, this is like January in... Well, it's December in Saskatoon. December, (laughs) January in like Regina, Saskatchewan. So they're freezing. Yeah. Snow, it's cold. I don't even want to go outside. No. Bear in mind, this is a small town where this doesn't happen very often. However, they are equipped with local resources around them in major cities to have autopsies and emergency services on site very quickly and they actually are able to have Gail's full autopsy done within seven hours from the time she's pronounced dead. Like that's quick but also it's the 60s set or like it's 69 like how much right? were they really checking we didn't have much we didn't have any DNA yeah testing to do yeah we're doing very cursory exams I would believe at yeah. the time. Like, I'm sure they weren't Um, as in-depth as an autopsy is today, just due solely to, like, the science available. And then also, there's probably nobody waiting in line. Like, again, I feel like even court trials went a lot. Do you know what I mean? Like, you know what I'm getting at. I know. You know what I'm getting at. waiting in line. Like, take a number. There's no autopsies that are waiting ahead of hers. Like, there's no No, backlog. There's no court backlog. The trial probably happened super fast. Calgary's fully equipped to... Be able to perform these tasks immediately. Yeah. So Gail's body is like rushed. It to is the medical quick, examiner, and he just goes through it right away. Now, granted, I will say part of this is probably due to the fact that her cause of death um, was determined very quickly because it was quite obvious. Right. They determine her cause of death is a stab wound to the right side of her chest, which caused her chest cavity to collapse. Her lung went in. Um, she likely died within 15 minutes of her attack, given that the lung was damaged so badly. Now, 15 minutes, if you are suffering, seems like a horrendous amount of time. But he did say that she was most likely unconscious for the entire act between, A, the diminishing amount of oxygen and the pain from the injury, that she likely was unconscious. And due to the temperature, there was a good chance that she went into shock. Yeah. Still awful. There was, yeah. There was also severe damage to her face, which was likely from someone pushing her face down to the ground, possibly from either their hand and their sleeve or the ground itself, causing, like, road rash. Um, And from rocks and gravel in the sand because, or in the ground, because at the side of the road, the snowplow, it was, like, kind of dirty snow near the bus stop. So there could have been dirt and sand Um, to create like an abrasion while her face was being pushed into the ground the medical examiner advised that from that angle she was likely raped given the state of her body upon examination he believes that possibly she was held down that way outside of the bus stop come on 
Right. But that also indicates that she likely was killed hours earlier while it was still dark out. Because nobody nearby saw this. Right, yeah. So along with slash wounds um, on her neck from left to right, they say that those wounds were inflicted near or after death, along with multiple other stab wounds, including her collarbone and uh, two to three to the abdomen, her breasts, and her back. There was also additional small stab wounds to her side. So vicious. It is. And I just want to reiterate, it's freezing. She is wearing so many layers right now. So I think the intensity at which you'd have to attack someone with that layerage of clothing, it just seems so, so vicious. Yeah, to get that those level of wounds, like through, let's say, a big jacket and multiple layers of clothing, unless mm-hmm. she Well, and upon her autopsy, they were able to remove material fibers from her clothing, from her, like, lungs, because remember... When her lung caved in, obviously that stab wound was quite severe to her side. They were able to remove fibers from, like, the damp inner tissue from her lungs. And there were pieces of her clothing inside of her. Nothing about this attack was... That's awful. Like, just a quick one and done. And I'm not trying to say that callously, but you hope that when any of us have to leave this planet, that it's quick and painless. Right. I think we can all agree. And this there. was the opposite. And this that. was not. This was horrible. This was brutal. Yeah. This person is piece of shit. Piece of shit. Yeah. So all evidence is collected at the site. Um, and the pull up. Pull up. I might just leave that in. <laughs> I might clip that and post it on socials. No. <laughs> I have access to this now, (laughs) ma'am. Later sources do question the validity of how the pathologist collected um, just like materials and evidence. At this time, there were even sources locally that were questioning if he checked evidence properly, he did a thorough job, or if it was collected properly, which could lend to also the seven-hour timeline. Did he do everything properly? It is How long should an average autopsy have taken, right? Because I think that's going to vary depending on the doctor. But if this guy's performing these autopsies in rapid succession, that is ridiculous. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> Part of this was that um, the clothing at the scene, like the officers had just bagged up rather than him doing it himself. Even though he had to come to the scene, he like let other people bag evidence that he should have done that was directly part of his role for further testing. Um, they looked back at the case photos during the autopsy, and her clothes were just, like, in a pile on the floor in the background. Oh. Yeah. Now, obviously, all these samples were collected from the snow, so they were already wet. So then piling them on top of one another could severely mix or yeah. contaminate these items, especially. Well, and, like, at this point, your level of detail is slim to none, so I don't trust that that autopsy room floor is free of evidence. No, if you're not taking good care of your job, also, how do we know you're even just sanitizing the room? Even if you do a good job of clearing out all other evidence. Yeah, like, as soon as you slip on one thing, your integrity is entirely compromised. Mm-hmm. 
as a medical examiner, you predominantly work by yourself. Yeah. So if other people around you are questioning your job, there has to be something very obvious that you're doing. Mm-hmm. And maybe that's just my personal opinion, but I think that seems very odd for someone who works independently most of the time. Yeah, no, 100%. It reminds me a lot of the... Um, not this The situation doesn't remind me of this, but like this, what that we're talking about, the how to... How to Fix a Drug Scandal? Is that what it was oh called my God, on Netflix? I love that documentary. I love that documentary too, but it reminds me a lot of that in the sense that like you have to be going down a real bad path in order for somebody yeah. to figure out like that you're volume. doing something wrong in that kind of a setting where you're a Agreed. scientist working alone because there's so many people that have no idea. And she even says that. What like, it is. I worked alone. Yeah. 90% of the time. Well, and in that kind of a profession, like, you just kind of, like, a, a, a scientist working alone and analyzing that kind of information, you just assume they're doing their job right. I don't know yeah. how to decide if you're doing your job right or not because I don't know anything about science. So, like... Well, it's just, like, how we automatically believe that doctors are good people. Or, like, but that... why? Yeah, that they're... It's just, it's like, it's a single person just making a decision and we are just entrusted with assuming that they know what they're doing. So that's why it's like, once you've compromised your integrity one time, like, how's anyone supposed to believe that anything you're doing is right? So semen was collected from the crime scene. However, this was like a few days after, um, the medical examiner actually went back and collected other samples from the snow. And at the original crime scene, he advised that he actually had no standardized protocol to maintain those samples. Um, yeah. Okay. He was also able to find additional semen on her. I, From what I was taking that as, and I think I said this in the original one, even though it doesn't say it exactly, I believe he went back and he collected a piece of clothing from the scene that was in the snow. Like, potentially... A pair of underwear that were not brought back sure. were able to be located or something like that. That was my understanding. However, it didn't specify. Okay. Um, he didn't hold on to any evidence long term. He said he didn't see that medical advances were going to come along and that he wouldn't be able to test it anyway. Um, however, a different um, pathologist was there and kind of was like, no, let's just keep testing some stuff here and let's just keep going. So he tested the semen, finds out that the semen sample has an A blood type. Immediately after the murder, they start checking all like 27 dry cleaners around the area to see if anybody else has handed in another piece of clothing that might match what they're trying to match up here. See if they can pull any other samples from additional clothing. They check with cab companies, even the ones who were off duty at the time. Um, they also interview like every single person in the cab company. So even if there was a call that came through and a dispatcher wasn't sent out to, or didn't send a car, they still interviewed those people to see if anything was suspicious, raised any flags. Um, in total, they did investigate 208 people or at least looked into clearing them based on tips provided. And they were actually able to do so. Everyone there was like, okay. Yeah. So, Joseph Penn, um, he served as the Saskatoon, he served with the Saskatoon police from 1954 to 1991. 
He was an identifications officer, um, and he was chief of police from January of 82. Came into this with, like, a fresh set of eyes. He decided to look around in the snow where Gail's body had been, and he's able to find a 10-inch, like, diameter in the snow now, after other stuff has melted, that show, like, a blood stain. So he can see exactly where she was and how bad the attack was. There's also a bloody knife blade that he's able to find once snow melts. How they weren't able to see, like, a bloody knife blade even... Like, I get that it was in the snow, but snow is white and it's red. How did you not find a blade? Move it. Right? Like, this scene should not have been closed and been like, oh, yeah, we got it all. Oh, yeah, this guy, like, went in and was like, I got what I need. And then a few days later went back and, like, looked around again and was like, yep, it's still fine. I found a little more evidence, but I think we're good here. And this is in a public place. Oh, yeah, this is, like, down on a street corner in a neighborhood at a bus stop. And there's, like, a snow bank. So it's, like, even, like, there's, like, a wall of snow that this happened near slash against. Yeah. And they still didn't think to be, like, "Mm, let's dig in there a little. Right, it's, like... Should we canvas for a murder weapon, perhaps? No? Okay. I am struggling so hard with these notes on my computer. Because <laughs> you usually use paper notes. I always use paper notes. Oh, man. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so there was a lot of speculation that Gail had been assaulted and killed somewhere else because of the temperature they assumed that possibly it had maybe been like a hookup gone wrong but after they found that the knife wounds had gone through all layers of clothing it kind of threw that theory out the window so they went back to this and then this other officer's like guys there's like a blood stain on the sidewalk like she was not killed somewhere else and a hookup in the snow on the side of the road well no he thought like maybe they were at like a house nearby oh. and they hooked up and she okay. was murdered there and then like moved to this spot but it's like okay. who's gonna be like i'm just gonna leave her at this bus stop i, th- I don't think anyone would notice i mean that's no. more plausible than what i was thinking so well fair <laughs> more plausible than what i've had in mind yeah um yeah part of it was that they were saying like there's no way that two people could have hooked up in the temperature, though, just like what you were saying. Yeah. And they were saying, like, it would be almost impossible for someone to be, like, waiting to attack someone in minimal clothing in a position to be able to assault them in this way. Yeah. But then other sources were like, well, based on, like, your adrenaline and what your body would be, like, hyped up to do if he was standing there or someone was standing there waiting to mm-hmm. attack her, yeah. they believed that it, it was totally plausible in the end, regardless of it being minus 41. Mm-hmm. Well, and Any if male this was, listeners, do you want to pull your junk out in minus 41? If this was a routine of hers as well, like you said, it's very possible that this person had been watching and knew she was going to be 100%. there. hundred percent. Right? That's where I was, I was actually going to say that. Like, mm-hmm. Someone might know that she comes there in a five-minute window every mm-hmm. day. And it's, like, by herself in the dark. And, or could be sitting in a car. Yeah. Like, at the co- other corner. And she just doesn't notice because you kind of go on autopilot in your normal routine. Yeah. I don't think that's crazy to say, especially if we feel like, yes, her body was discovered at 9.30 a.m., but she was likely killed hours before that. So potentially maybe, like, 5, 6 a.m.? Mm-hmm. Realistically, someone going to work, that's totally plausible, especially with snowy weather. Mm-hmm. So she might not have even noticed that someone was nearby. It's cold out. You're all bundled up. You can't really see very well. 
There's so many things to indicate that someone could have just been sitting there. To me. They're like, I'm constantly on alert that somebody's watching me, but that's probably <laughs> for other reasons. Um, the average oh, person. Been, yeah. You're not. Yeah. yeah. My mom instilled that fear in me very early, I think. So now that we know a little bit about what the actual crime was in the town where this road trip is about to happen. Like, they're literally going to arrive in this town and this is happening. So they're coming into this, like, media storm of this tragic event. Yeah, because they get there at 9 a.m. at, like, the exact same time her body is found. Well, they were in Calgary at 9 a.m., like, the day before. Oh, So later in that day, they're coming to Regina. So, like, overnight they're driving again. Right. So they're going to be coming into Regina, yes, that morning. You're right. They're going to be kind of just coming into town to four, a shitstorm. I believe it's four of them in the vehicle at this time. Four outsiders to this town that no one knows. Yeah. And they just look like these little drug-using teenagers. Mm-hmm. Do we see them that way? No. They seem kind of cool. Seem like they're having a great time. As long as they're safe, I don't care. Yeah. <laughs> so on March 2nd, Albert Kadri get home, hear about everything going on. And there was suspicion around this man from the beginning. He informed police when he was interviewed that he had run into this new teenager in town recently over the last few days because he was visiting someone who stayed in the lower level of his home. His name was David, and he knows that they took hallucinogenic drugs, and he had been acting really strangely. Of course, this sounds like a perfect person to the police. For sure. Young kid acting strangely on drugs, from out of town, town well, Mm -hmm. in the area, just down the street. It's and like easy target because he's not known. (laughs) He reclaims that he remembers seeing a little bit of blood on David's clothing. So, in the back of his mind, he just thought, like, yeah, I mean, I don't know where the blood came from, it's kind of suspicious, and thought he would mention it. So, now that David is on police's radar. Like, there's a whole new ball rolling on this case. They are out to get him. Yeah, they have a suspect. They have a suspect, and he's, again, a young kid on drugs in the 60s. That's exactly who police want to arrest, or the 60s, 70s, is these young little, like, quote-unquote hoodlums Mm -hmm. out here causing a ruckus. Police immediately look for David, pick him up, and they bring up this claim that there was a little bit of blood on him. And they also... When they interviewed a friend of his at the same time in a separate room had said, yeah, I think I actually saw David with a paring knife. So now he has a drop of blood on his clothing and a paring knife in his possession while in police custody being questioned. The female, whose name is Nicole, she claimed that she saw the whole thing. She says that he dragged her in an alley. She tried to run. She pulled, he pulled her back in and then she saw the knife in his hand and later said that she refused to repeat any of this story though. Mm-hmm. I think we've all heard this before. I believe this is the case where I made like a very big post about how awful eyewitness testimony can be. <laughs> yeah. And I, I think it's a good reminder that for people to... They were arrested partially based on the fact that they were teens who do drugs. Sure. Keep in mind, they are doing drugs when you also take their testimonies. Right. And, like, both are with a grain of salt here, people. Yeah. Like, yeah. 
So throughout the whole night, while this joyride is happening, she says, they're all by each other's side. They're together like glue. Nothing changes. But then all of a sudden, David's just gone for a little bit as well. So that's suspicious. So by 7.10 in the morning, they say that their car was stuck on ice. (laughs) Do you remember this part? No. Okay. So they say their car gets stuck on ice at 7.10 in the area that this is happening. Okay. And then two of the guys, like, other than David, leave to go find help. And Nicole's at the car with David, and then that's when she said David, like, disappears for a minute. And the two guys walk to a local motel to see if they can either, like, use the phone or... They just, like, went for help. They literally just were like, I don't know what else to do. We're going to walk to find some form of assistance. Yeah. They don't find anyone. They walk back. They end up being able to get the car moved. They literally just, like, panicked and were like, we'll go get help. And whatever. Probably just high. It's like when you panic and call your mom first before, like, making a decision for yourself. I still do it. I'm 31 and a half years old. And sometimes it's like talking it out. Like, you don't need an answer. You just want to try something and then be like, oh, I got the answer. Never mind. Like, sure. They just wanted to say they had walked to get help and there wasn't anyone to help. So they had to do it. Um, So after this, they pull into local motel. They're hoping to find a map or get some directions. Mm-hmm. Uh, while they're there, they say that the attendant at that store said that everyone was nice and calm. No one was acting erratically to match what the statement was that David's behavior had been strange. They seemed like just regular kids looking for directions. They also noted that they thought it would be weird that if they had just killed somebody, why would they just stop and get directions so casually? It's like, just drive. Yeah. Just take off. So they also mentioned that they thought that was weird. So at this point, they officially arrest David as a prime suspect, although there is zero physical evidence. This is purely based on three witness testimonies or quote unquote witness testimonies Mm -hmm. that can't be verified. Right. Holding him accountable for a first degree murder charge. There's enough people saying that he did it or saw him do something related to the crime that police believe they'll be able to build a case following his arrest. But I'm not going to put my opinion in here. Never mind. Keep in mind, they've been doing this investigation and questioning, and they've been working on getting these three, like, a very, very strong story to create a timeline. And with Nicole not wanting to repeat her story, like, they pretty much immediately panic. However, they try David for murder based on this, and a jury convicts him based on these eyewitness testimonies for rape and murder. At 17 years old, he is getting sentenced to essentially, well, death at the time would have been his sentence. Yeah. During the trial, most of the testimony from David's friends Everybody in the courtroom found out that those were lies. And they still upheld his conviction. So, like, one friend said that he had been struggling with his mental health for a while and had been hallucinating regardless of drug use. He accounted that he had seen, like, snakes in place of someone's head before. He had seen items around that weren't really in the room. And yet police were, like, taking his testimony at face value that he said he saw David do things or be holding items. Um, it, yeah, it was 
really fucked up. So it's like immediately out of the three testimonies I have, there's one gone. I was going to say, that sounds like a clown show. Oh, it is for sure. It was a total witch hunt on David. Yeah. Nothing about this was good. Yeah. No way whatsoever should this have been upheld. Um, They even said that they had like offered Ron money potentially, like he could have the reward for information if he would like give information about David. Right. So $2,000 when you're like 17, 18 year old is a lot of money. And $2,000 in 1969 was like 10 grand today. Yeah. If I had to guess. Yeah. Oh my God, 17. And I know we did this last time. We were like, he is a baby. Well, the freaking baby. wildest part for me is that there's no evidence. Like, I don't. Zero. I've never, I didn't review the trial at all, but there's, there's physical evidence from this scene and it doesn't match him. No. He has the same blood type. So they were like, gotta be him. Right. But like, lots of people have the same blood type. And all it was was that he was an A blood type at the time. Yeah. It wasn't A positive, A negative. Like, that's wild. It's just A. Like, yeah. that's so vague. His first appeal is on January 5th of 1971. However, it was dismissed. Um, and on November 15th, the Canadian Supreme Court refused to give him a leave to appeal, which we talked about last time, which is everyone should be entitled to time away from their prison sentence, quote unquote, to build their case. For their appeal with their appeal lawyer. Mm-hmm. He was denied all prep and accessibility to his legal team. Like the Canadian Supreme Court looked at like, well, at this point, what, like a 18 year old and was like, nope. Mm-hmm. They saw him as a monster and refused to give him the time of day. David ends up spending 23 years in prison for a crime that he did not commit. He had 20 chances at parole, but he was refused um, essentially every time. He would never take responsibility for this crime, and that is the one criteria Mm -hmm. when you're approaching a parole board, is that you need to admit your faults, own what you've done, and pay, like, retribution and say how you've changed. That's why Kelly Ellard keeps getting denied parole. (laughs) Yeah, she won't admit to it. Kelly Eller did fucking commit that crime. She's just a piece of shit. Yeah, girl, there is physical evidence there. She's the worst. Just keep denying it, though, because it keeps you away longer. Yep. David, on the other hand, though, should not be in this situation. Kelly Eller can rot in hell. Oh, for sure. No, I was just... I was just using her as an example. Like, that's one of the main reasons that she was not let out early because her co-accused was let out, like, very early and is living oh, yeah. a great life and has reintegrated and apologized and made amends but with they the family what they did and owned what and he did. Fun. And Kelly Ellard's like, no, I didn't kill her. I didn't do anything wrong. Me. 20 years in jail, though, for something you didn't do. That's insane. So as you mentioned, he won't accept responsibility. During this time in prison, he, no matter who he is in a cell with, he maintains his innocence to them as well. And you know they planted like a million undercovers in those cells. You know it. You know they did. 
yeah, they seem to have it out for David, so I totally agree with you. Like, they were doing everything to get him to admit, I feel like. Yeah. Given the state of David's life being nothing that he expected at this point, he attempts suicide several times. He swallows wire. He jumps from a second-story window. He cuts his wrists. It essentially breaks him as a human being. He wants out of the life that he has because he's not being heard, he is not being listened to, and there is zero justice for him. Yeah. In 1990, Kim Campbell, who at the time was the Minister of Justice and the Attorney General, she was actually involved in, like, a ton of changes to the criminal code, which I might actually do an episode or, like, a Patreon on her because she's pretty cool. Um, but whatever. Um, she was, like, a huge factor in David's case getting reviewed, um, that his name being brought up, and was a big person that his mom would reach out to to request information or assistance with his case because we come to find that his mother was and always will be his biggest advocate. Mm -hmm. She never believed for a minute that her son did this. She would never, ever turn her back on him. It did come out that police had a tip come in in 1980, um, and it was the real murderer, <laughs> and that tip just fell completely flat. Like of someone called it in did. with a name. Yeah, because they were like, and they were yeah, like, nope, we have we our already guy. got the guy. It's fine. Job done. Yeah. Yep. It wasn't looked into at all, and it didn't even seem like it was taken seriously by the tip giver. Unfortunately, like we said, we see this. All the time. I was say, yeah, they, as soon as they have someone, they're like, oh, work's done. Check it off. Well, it's and done. they would Pass have to the admit list. that they did something wrong and made a mistake. Yeah. And they're not going to. Mm-hmm. And that's not saying anything about them. That is a hard quality in anyone to admit when you're wrong. Yeah, I think that not as a whole, because I don't like to attribute this to anyone. And I know that there are so many law enforcement officers with integrity and great values. But I think that as a whole, there is a mentality of like protect your own amongst officers. And, you know, I just actually had this conversation with somebody about like uh, external police reviews. Um, Actually, you were with me when I was having that conversation. (laughs) And it's like they're just they're just reviewing another police department and like even if you're not in the same department, like police still believe that police do a good job. Point blank. Yeah, you back you back like your officers, still, you back you your people. Share a reputation. And unfortunately that just means that sometimes there's no retribution in case in situations like this, there's no accountability because it's like, well, we would have to admit that all of our officers did their job wrong. Mm-hmm. Without a doubt. Which is not even a bad thing. Like, like I think learning and mistakes. admitting your faults and that's how you learn. That's how you grow. That's how you become better is by making mistakes and admitting that you could have done something differently. Like, consistently just being like, nope, I did the best. I would not do it differently again. Blah, 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 blah. Like, you're never going to learn and grow. That goes for anything. No. Agreed. Anyway. I'm feeling chatty today. Change comes from stepping out of your comfort zone and admitting you're wrong is stepping out of your comfort 100%. zone. 100%. So I think those are can be attached to one another in a weird mm-hmm. way, but I agree. It's not bad to have done something wrong or say that you might have done it differently another time. It's great. Yeah. 
Speaking of David's mom, quickly though. Quickly. Back to the case. Yeah. David's mom also wrote a song to try to keep his name in the media. It's like a little tune that she wrote for him, hoping that when she would reach out to like local media or go to like public events, it was something that she could have in her back pocket to like bring up his name and like perform at things so that it would create awareness for his case. Because again, she believed him wholeheartedly and as mm-hmm. she should. Yeah. And all she really wanted from this song at first was just to get her son some relief in prison, if not get him out. Right. Like, she could see what was happening to him, and it was, like, kind of killing her as well. And we need Mama June yeah, to stick around. Yeah, Mama June! She also, Mama June, went on the record to note to the public that David, before this pro- joyride, had, like, zero criminal record. Not even an interaction with police. And by the mid-60s, it was, like, unheard of for young teens to have not had a run-in with police. Right. So that's why she went out of her way to say, like, he was a really good kid. And not just, like, a good kid. Like, a really good kid. Yeah. He was in that small group that, although, yes, he did drugs and he had these crazy friends, he didn't get into trouble. Yeah. He didn't do things that put him in danger. July 18th, 1997, there was new DNA advancements in England. They were able to retest the few samples that were maintained. As we said, that other pathologist that was in the lab was kind of like, I'm watching you. And I think this, uh, that kind of like kept the one guy a little bit accountable. Oh, you but... mean scientific advancements occurred? Blasphemy. Oh my God. That one guy said they wouldn't happen. And now this guy's like, um, told you so. <laughs> And again, we know, anyone in true crime knows, like, 96 to 98 were, like, the primo years for DNA advancements. True. We're kind of going through those golden years again right now with genetic genealogy. We're, like, in the middle of that right now. But, yes, you're right. With just DNA advancements and being able to, like, pinpoint a specific DNA profile to a person was huge. And not just, like, a blood type or, you know, it. It ma- It doesn't match, but it's in it's relation like to where it shows signs of yeah. or blah, blah, blah. Yeah. Yeah. Being able to remove some of that verbiage and be able to be like, this is a match. Yeah. He did it. was yeah. huge. When David sam- David's DNA sample was tested against the semen sample preserved from the scene, bum, 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 it was not a match. We're, Shocker. We're shocked. It's so funny, though, because, like, some police at the time were like, well, yeah, that's because there was two people there. No Well, then why didn't you look into that other tip? Because that was probably numero deuce. Literally no comment. Fucking loser. As mentioned earlier, Nicole is still not repeating her statement. She, to this day, is still like, no, I don't know what you're talking about. I didn't say that. I don't want to talk about it anymore. Right. So we've talked about them. We have talked about everything up to this point. But now we need to figure out what has really transpired that evening. Larry was brought forward as a person of interest because, A, it's a small town and he is a single man. He owns a vehicle and there were certain criteria of people that they were just blanket interviewing. They cast a wide net and they wanted to find out if they could just find anything organically. Yeah. He had no criminal record at the time. They had no reason to hold on to him. However, when looking back at reports, they see that he was actually questioned again on February 3rd. So, like, around the time the whole case is 
being essentially closed by police yeah. and like buttoned up almost, they're still talking to him. So then it was just a few days after the murder. So he's originally questioned around this time. They look at his phone records and stuff like that, and there's nothing weird. They do see that um, there's a list of people as well who sent flowers to the funeral home. They do their due diligence and go through that. His name is not on there, which would also have shown a sign of guilt. A little bit more backstory on Larry, though, when they dig into him. Because, again, at first he has no criminal record. Sure. According to police. Like he inserted himself in the investigation, gave a fake story. So. So a little backstory on Larry. In September of 1970, he was caught mid-rape attacking a woman. So now they're going back to look into him. And since this crime has happened, he has now been caught raping someone else. He was captured, but then just released again in 1980. Immediately after that, he attacked somebody else. (sighs) Yeah. So he's put back in jail till 1984 and then released again. Keep in mind, David is sitting in prison for no evidence, no proof on a crime that this man is going in and out of jail for. And he keeps victimizing new people. Yes. More people. Yep. And the first time, remember, he was caught mid-attack and they couldn't hold him longer than, like, a few days. And then David, why women don't feel safe. Yep. And don't feel like society cares about us. So at this point, police now have built their whole case around Larry. They've been able to test his DNA. They're able to get a match on that. They're also able to prove with his previous track record now, which they shouldn't have needed to get a conviction on someone. They shouldn't have had to been like, well, look, he's done it before. No, No, you should have caught him earlier and saved those women from being assaulted. Done a proper investigation. He's arrested on July 26th of 1997 for Gail's murder and rape. He is sentenced to life in prison as of January 2000. Uh, he was offered parole after 10 years due to his multiple convictions. They, they're they like, we'll, we'll hold him for 10 years. No, give him the 25. Mm-hmm. 100%. Again, it's the 70s. That wasn't the case back then. Yeah. He ended up living for 13 years and then dying in prison, which, fine. We will not miss you, Larry. No. Doesn't sound like your wife will miss you either, so. Not at all. I assume you were horrible to her, considering mm-hmm. she gave very minimal information and didn't really want to talk about you, but was like, yeah, dude was sketchy that night and had a knife. And he sucks. Yeah. I think it sounds like, though, once he was actually arrested, she was able to, like, feel comfortable and give more information, and she was able to be like, okay, let me really tell you about that night. That's so, fair. Yeah. But I think a l- I wouldn't be surprised if a lot of her testimony isn't actually on the record just for her safety because it doesn't sound like he was the safest person to have around if he was to be released again look at his track record yeah i don't want to end the story on this piece of shit um and although david has passed away at this point since he was released on prison um he was exonerated for all crimes he ended up being released in April 1992. The Saskatchewan government had officially apologized to him publicly along with his public exoneration and report to media. And in May of 1997, he received a $10 million settlement for his lost wages, pain, suffering. And then in January of 2020, while living in Cochrane, Alberta, he was appointed to the Independent Review Board working with a group by Trudeau of 2019 
along with the Innocence Project, um, which we have actually talked about many times, and they do incredible work just or advocating for people who are wrongly convicted or who have essentially a misjustice within the criminal justice system. You don't actually have to have served time. You could be someone who needs assistance. Also working, if you have multiple convictions, getting assistance, working with the government, it's a scary process. They are a great resource. Mm -hmm. Um, They'll be able to point you in the right direction. If I remember correctly, too, David Milgard was, like, the first or one of the first cases that, like, uh, this group of people helped. And then that kind of, like, formed Innocence Canada, which is part of, like, the Innocence Project is American. Their entire website, when you look at it, it shows recaps of all their cases. And David was, in fact, one of the first ones that they assisted to work with bringing his case A back to light, providing essentially enough evidence to prove that there could be an additional, like, person out there who could have committed this crime. That is a big part of what they do, is they go out and put, like, time and resources into finding out not necessarily that you didn't do it, but proof that there's reasonable doubt that somebody else did do it. Yeah. And that can just be loopholes in testing or the way that the court system worked, jury selection, how your defense handled your case. It could be any number of things. Yeah. Right. So it was the Association in Defense of the Wrongly Convicted, founded in 1993, incorporated in 2000. Yeah. So I'm pretty sure that David Milgard was like one of their first actual like investigations yeah he was yeah um but essentially it was a corporation of people who were looking to advocate and give justice to people who needed it and clearly provided that there was enough value for this to become yeah a much needed resource in our communities and in our country absolutely justification (laughs) i don't know what you're looking i don't i just i can't english right now that's all right I don't need to English right now. But yes, I think it was really important for us to go over this story again. I am going to have to do some heavy editing, I think, because I was totally fucking up these notes over and over again. (laughs) I will be back to pen and paper next week. I promise. (laughs) Oh, God. That is funny. Yeah, okay. So if you want to check out the Innocence Canada Foundation or if you would like to donate to Innocence Canada at all because they are a nonprofit, um, I'm just reading some information here. The Innocence Canada Foundation operates as the main fundraising organization for Innocence Canada and works to support the following charitable objects, providing legal services to low-income persons in Canada for the purposes of establishing that a wrongful conviction has occurred, uh, raising public awareness of the criminal law and ju- judicial process. I can't English either. Providing financial assistance to low-income, wrongly convicted clients for the necessities of life and supporting educational initiatives that help to address the causes of wrongful conviction. So it's a really interesting, like really cool, important organization. Um, and you can visit IsnsCanada.com to donate to them. Also, October 2nd of every year is Wrongful Conviction Day. So that's also something to keep in mind every year. That is a day to commemorate people that, you know, need a little bit more time reviewing their cases. Not everyone sitting in jail is there for a good reason or deserves to be there. And we need to keep that in mind. So also don't just judge someone because they've been in prison because Mm -hmm. hear their story. Yeah. I think we know by now that the justice system isn't always just. And uh, 
that guilty and not guilty really doesn't have any barring in the truth. It's just however the events played out in court. I truly believe that. Um, mm -hmm. You know, it's a lot about the show that's put on for people. It's not always about facts, unfortunately. Um, I think that's what happened with this case, to be honest. Yeah, there, and there's a lot. They... The public found out there was a suspect and they knew who it was. And then when the police arrested him, they were like, woo! And... Well, and I think back then there wasn't as much of an emphasis on, like, uh, you know, the right to a fair trial. I'm sure that this was just, like, held in the town it occurred where everybody was against yep. this kid because they didn't know him and he was the bad kid that just came and did bad shit in their town. Um, easy target, for sure. And the media plays into that a lot. Um you know, I understand that as this podcast, we are like a quote unquote media entity of sorts, but I think we try really hard to stay like in a neutral zone-ish. <laughs> I think we try to make sure too, like our information is supporting the right side yeah, of the story. Yeah, just, I don't know. <laughs> Not glamorizing This it. case is like one of the most classic examples of wrongful conviction and how it happens in Canada which is why it's such like a precedent setting case because it's got just like all the elements of that like perfect storm you know yep like awful eyewitness testimony police tunnel vision it's got like it checks all the boxes it really does yeah because if I remember correctly police um, tunnel vision and eyewitness testimony are the two top reasons that people end up being wrongfully convicted. Which... I'm not sure off the top of my head because I'm sure they, well, I'm not sure if they may change, but I would believe those and those sound accurate to mm -hmm. me based on the cases we hear every week. Yeah. And just like the injustices from people being like, okay, that's good enough. Yeah. Wow. Well... That's it. That is the case of Gail Miller, um, who obviously died tragically, and David Milgard, who was tragically wrongfully convicted of her death. Of course, I'm so happy that we like found the right asshole. We got there but eventually. Two people still lost their lives that day, but essentially. Two people lost their lives, essentially. Yeah, I mean, David Milgard lost. 20 years of what we all consider kind of like our prime years, if you will. And he was formative. like psychologically tormented in there. Mm -hmm. Like he was never the same person. He'll never work again. Right. The damage that was done to him. Yeah. It couldn't have been fixed. Yeah. Even he said that like it, it stripped him of his innocence. Mm -hmm. He was a child when he went in there. Yeah, pretty much. Like, 17, 20 years, you get out when you're mm -hmm. 37, going on 40. Like, I've lived a whole life between 17 and now. I'm 31. Mm -hmm. I'm pretty sure, too. Like, I, I'm not 100%, but I saw in passing when I was researching that he was physically and sexually assaulted in prison. I believe it. Well, thank you for this. Um, I don't know what I was supposed to say. If you enjoyed this episode, you want to see case photos, updates, etc. Follow us on socials at Podcast by Proxy, on Twitter at Podcast by Proxy. TikTok is the same. If you have a case you would like us to cover, you could email us at podcastbyproxy at gmail.com. 
Uh, is there anything I'm missing? Follow and like on whatever listening platform you're listening on. Rate meow. And before this episode ends, go give us a five-star rating or review. It takes no time at all, and it's free and helpful to us. Um, we love those reviews coming in. It really gives our show, like, credibility. Maybe people will want to listen to it more if there's more people that have reviewed it. Um, it does really go a long way for us. So thank you for being here. We'll see you next week. Got well, a- thanks, Squadcast, for the new tech. And thank you to Squadcast for the new technology. Hopefully we'll be able to provide some, like, little video snippets on our social media um, because we are recording in Squadcast. Uh, So if you haven't used Squadcast before and you record any kind of like video or audio with people for business purposes or any other purposes, really, for that matter, check out Squadcast because this is our first day using it. It's actually been really user friendly and uh, I think we will definitely be using it going forward to record. Agreed. Yeah, it was super easy to set up, super easy to get into a session. So we'll see how it goes. But so far, I like so far so good. But uh, yeah, we will talk to you next week. Bye. I'll call you soon. Okay. Okay. Bye. 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 How do I stop this shit? I'll stop it. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Fuck me.